Dobro jutro svima i gospod s vama. Good morning, everyone, and Lord be with you. I am Dwayne Baldwin, for those of you who don't know me, and it's been a long time since, uh, it feels like since I've been here. My wife and I and five of our boys, or our five boys, used to attend Heritage, actually, for 21 years. And now we are sent out missionaries to Serbia uh, from Heritage, where we live in Novi Sad, Serbia. Uh, we are going to be presenting about Serbia this Friday night uh, from 6.30 to 9. It's something called Zabava, and it's right here in this, in this room. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be uh, an evening that we are able to present, hopefully, what we're doing in our ministry in Serbia, but in a fun way that has games and dancing and maybe some food and different things. So we're very thankful to be here, and we praise the Lord to be back among our sending church and, and our family, too. I'm going to be reading the scriptures this morning from Galatians chapter 4. And actually what I'm going to do is read Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. And then I've been asked to read just the last two verses in Serbian for you so you can get a feel for uh, what the scriptures sound like there. And I believe they're going to um, show that on the back wall when that, when that happens. So Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And now, Galachanima Chetiri, Stik Shesti Sedem. Apostol Stesinovi, Bog je u vaše srce poslao, duha svoga sina, koji više, Abba. Oče, tako više nisi rob, nego sin, i ako si sin, onda te je Bog učinio i naslednikom. In whatever language this is, it is still the word of God, and may he bless the reading of his word. I appreciate Dwayne reading to us from God's Word in Serbian. Um, for one thing, it shows that God is helping Duane and her sister Kimberly to grasp the language. And another thing, it helps us realize that there are millions of people who speak that language but do not know our Savior. So um, it was good. It's wonderful to have the Baldwins with us for this time of these several weeks. I'm glad Dwayne already announced uh, what's coming up this Friday. I hope everyone will come to that. And I want to add my pastoral uh, welcome to the, the mission to the DR team, particularly the Up and Out group and Sam and Ashley and Pastor Keith, um, a couple of other adults who were chaperones. We, we are excited to have received the good reports and to be able to hear in the near future what God did 
it's evident that he worked in your lives, young people, and through your lives. And as I was saying to Sam just a few minutes ago, it would be wonderful if 14, the 14 who went down as young people, all became missionaries, whether to the DR or to Serbia. So praise God for that wonderful trip and the Lord's kindness in watching over them. Well, we're already in Galatians chapter 4, but I want to sincerely wish to everyone, by the grace of God, a happy Father's Day. And I mean everyone. I mean mothers, grandmothers, young unmarried ladies, young unmarried men, children, men and women who have never had children, parents who have lost their children, And yes, dear children who have lost their fathers. I actually thought about asking everyone who has lost their father to stand up. But I knew that for some, especially when you think of Jana and Jared, what a painful thing that would be. But I went through the church directory this week and and identified at least 60 of us who have lost our parents, and in many cases, our father. And that's sad. But on a more humorous note, I also thought about asking everyone who did not have a biological father to stand up. (laughs) I'm glad that you see the humor of that. That challenge. I'm very sure that no one would stand. Um, Jesus could have stood. He did not have a biological father. But the fact is, every single one of us had a father and may yet have a father. So that sort of puts fatherhood in perspective. Fathers are slightly important, even if all they do is contribute to our conception. I'm also very aware that some of you presently here have or have had fathers who were very disappointing, very difficult, maybe even abusive, perhaps even who have abandoned you. And we pray for you. And we care for you. But my purpose this morning is not to preach a typical Father's Day sermon, focusing on what fathers should be and how they can achieve what they should be by the grace of God and the power of the gospel. Perhaps that's what we'll do a year from now, but that's not what I want to do this morning. What I want to do is to focus our attention upon the ultimate Father, which some of our songs did. Our Father in Heaven. And what will always be what I'm going to call the greatest Father's Day you will ever have, if you are genuinely a child of God. And if you are not yet a child of God, I want to tell you how you can have the greatest Father's Day you will ever have. 
I'm going to direct our attention to the glorious and precious doctrine of adoption. Please understand, it's far more than just a doctrine or a teaching. It's an experience that changes your life forever. Because adoption, biblically speaking, is becoming a true son or daughter of God. It is becoming a genuine child of God. It's being able to legitimately call God your Father. It's being enabled by the grace of God to legitimately pray what we call the Lord's Prayer. That prayer is offered in a blasphemous way hundreds of thousands, if not millions of times a day by people who are not yet adopted into the family of God but have the audacity to call God their father. Let's be very clear about something. Being a human being does not make you a child of God. The Bible does not teach the general fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. That, in fact, is a heretical concept. Until we experience true conversion, until we experience true faith, until we are actually born again, Jesus must say to us what he said on one occasion to the Pharisees, You are of your father the devil. In the words of the Apostle Paul, if we are not yet converted, we are sons and daughters of disobedience. We don't get adopted until we get saved. But the good news is that you can be adopted today if you truly and savingly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's consider this precious experience And I'm calling it now an experience and not just a doctrine. Let's consider this precious status of actually belonging to the family of God for a few minutes. And then at the end of my sermon, if time remains, I will have just a few words of challenge and encouragement for earthly fathers or fathers-to-be. So let's look a little more closely at the text that Duane read for us this morning. In Galatians chapter 4, I'm especially interested in the last part of verse 3 and through 7. I think what we see in these few verses are, first of all, what our condition was before we were adopted. And then we see what happened to us and for us actually in history. And then finally we see the actual experience of adoption. So notice then, if you will, verse 3, the latter part of it, uh, reminds us of what our condition was before we were adopted. It says that we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world, to the spirit of this world. We were enslaved. We were slaves. Anyone who's enslaved is a slave. We were once slaves. Even as Israel of old in their unbelief 
was in slavery, not just in Egypt, but in slavery to sin. They were under the condemnation of the law. And they were waiting for the freedom that would come, the true and the greater freedom that would come once the Messiah himself came. And we ought to appreciate, especially when we come to the conjunction in verse 4, the glorious change that took place in history. Notice it starts with the word but. It's another one of those glorious usages of this conjunction. But when the fullness of time had come, and you can see now he's speaking historically. This is something that at first had not come, and then in the fullness of time did come. When the fullness of time had come, what happened? God took the initiative to adopt And I stress the initiatory work of God. Spurgeon commenting on this verse says the following, Observe concerning the first advent that the Lord was moving in it toward man. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. Look, says Spurgeon, we move not toward the Lord, but the Lord moved toward us. I do not find that the world in repentance sought after its maker. No. But the offended God himself in infinite compassion broke the silence and came forth to bless his enemies. See how spontaneous is the grace of God. All good things begin with him. End quote. And so you see that God himself initiates this wonderful status of adoption. He sent forth his son. Now, as we look at verse 4, I just want you to see uh, two wonderful things. I want you to see what he had to do first before any of us could be adopted. So if your life depended on it, and I said, look at the verse, you have 60 seconds to think about it, meditate upon it, and answer the question correctly or you die. What first had to be accomplished before God could adopt anyone into his family? Well, notice it says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. He had to be human, but it was the son of God. He was also divine. He was uniquely qualified. He was qualified in his humanity and in his divinity, combined in one person to connect fallen man with holy God. God sent forth his son made of a woman, and now notice, made under the law. That is to say, he came under the authority of the very law that we have all violated and broken willfully hundreds of thousands of times, millions of times perhaps, in rebelling against him. That's what sin is. The Bible tells us sin is the transgression of the law. Paul says in Romans that he would not have known sin if the law had not said 
you shall not covet it. Paul says in Romans 3.24, by the law is the knowledge of sin. What is sin? Sin, by definition, is not doing what God commands and doing what he forbids. There's only two ways to sin. Omission or commission. We are all sinners. We have all sinned, as I've already said, hundreds of thousands of times, maybe millions of times. We have shaken our fist in the face of God. And this holy God, in spite of our rebellion against us, in the fullness of time, sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, for what, pray tell? Why did he do that? Our text is so clear. And this is the first thing, and I hope this is what you would have answered if you had 60 seconds to come up with the right answer. First, to redeem. To redeem those who were under the law. A payment had to be made. Because the justice of God was committed to our eternal destruction. In order for us to be saved and to be forgiven and, yes, to be adopted, our sins had to be paid for first. He sent forth His Son, made of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. We had to be purchased, and we were purchased, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The great redemptive work of our Savior, the heart of the gospel. Our sins must be paid for. They must be atoned. God cannot just forgive sinners. Even God cannot do that. It would be to deny His own nature. He is a holy God. He is a just God. All of our sins must be punished, either by a substitute or by ourselves. But God, choosing to redeem a people, sent His only begotten Son in the fullness of time. It was a historical, redemptive act. And why did He do that? In order to redeem us. But the sentence doesn't stop there. And this is what's so amazing. I'd like you to just think for a moment, what if it did just stop there? I might surprise you by saying it would be okay. Because at least we don't have to go to hell. We've been redeemed. Our sins have been paid for. And that redemption becomes the grounds of another wonderful work of God. This is being just a little bit theological, but we can all think theologically. We were redeemed so that God could pronounce us righteous. That's what justification is, so that God could look upon us as though we had never sinned and pronounce us righteous in His sight because of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't our righteousness. It's His righteousness. But the two things we need are a payment for our sins and a perfect righteousness. Jesus paid for our sin, and the gospel promises that if we look to him and call upon him and believe upon him, we receive the righteousness of God. And if we have the righteousness of God and our sins are forgiven, we can celebrate right there. That's enough. It it could be enough right there. We should just rejoice for all eternity that we don't have to go to hell, that we are made right with God, that we have no sins to give an account for. We have been redeemed. We have been justified. 
And it could have just stopped right there. But guess what, brothers and sisters? The sentence goes on. It continues. It says, to redeem those who were under the law so that, so that, this is a purpose clause. This is the purpose. Redemption is not an end in itself in the mind of God. He wants to go further. He doesn't just want us to be redeemed and justified. He wants us to become sons and daughters of himself. He wants to adopt us. He wants to bring us into his family. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And here's where I just want to help you perhaps reappreciate maybe some of you for the first time that even though we think of justification as the fundamental blessing of the gospel and it is it is the foundational blessing i'm really putting redemption and justification together there because he can't pronounce righteous people whose sins have not been paid for it is the fundamental, foundational, principle, doctrine of the Christian faith. But listen to me. Listen to me. It's not the highest doctrine of the Christian faith. It's not the most precious doctrine of the Christian faith. As precious as it is to know that our sins have been paid for, And that we are now right in the sight of our holy judge. As precious as that is, there's something more pressure. Precious, as great as that is, there's something greater. And you know what's greater? It's God coming and saying, I want you to be my sons. I want you to be my daughters. I want you to call me your father. I want to be close to you. And as astounding as it may seem to be, he says, in order to persuade you that this is real and that I genuinely desire this, in order to overcome any apprehensions you might have that how could that possibly be for me to be a a child of God, a son or a daughter of God, I'm going to do something inside of you. I'm going to put the spirit of my son in you and I'm going to cause you spontaneously and genuinely and believingly to say Abba Father you couldn't say it God would have to say to us you couldn't say it if I didn't enable you by the spirit of my son to call me Father That's the relationship that God wants with us. So in one sense, justification or redemption are the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. But if you want to think of them in terms of their highest ecstasy, their greatest joy, their most wonderful preciousness, it's adoption. So it works up. 
We are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, and in the right time, God sent the Holy Spirit into our lives. He called us, effectually caused us to be born again, gave us the gift of faith. We looked to Jesus. We trusted in Him. He took our sins. He gave us His righteousness. We were pronounced justified, and God says, I'm not done. I am now going to welcome you into my family, and you will call me from henceforth. Father. This great classic book by J.I. Packer, Knowing God, has a wonderful chapter. It's chapter 19 called Sons of God, which really deals with the doctrine of adoption. I strongly urge you to get this book. If you don't have it, get it and, and read chapter 19. Maybe start with chapter 19. And this is what he says. He says... And as justification is the primary blessing, so it is the fundamental blessing in the sense that everything else in our salvation assumes it and rests on it, adoption included. But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher. Because of the richer relationship with God that it involves, some textbooks on Christian doctrine like Burkhoff's for an and since some of you know the famous systematic theologian Burkhoff, or you've heard of him, some of those treat adoption as a mere subsection of justification, but this is inadequate. The two ideas are distinct. And adoption is the more exalted. Justification is a forensic or legal idea conceived in terms of law and viewing God as judge. In justification, God declares of penitent believers that they are not and never will be liable to the death that their sins deserve because Jesus Christ, their substitute and sacrifice, tasted death in their place on the cross. This free gift of acquittal and peace won for us at the cost of Calvary is wonderful enough in all conscience, but Justification does not of itself imply any intimate relationship with God the judge. In idea, at any rate, you could have the reality of justification without any close fellowship with God resulting. But contrast this now with adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. That's J.I. Packer. So I hope you understand the distinction he's making. We're not minimizing the doctrine of justification or redemption. But we're saying that redemption and justification had an even higher end in mind. We have to be redeemed. We have to be pronounced righteous before God can have fellowship with us. But he doesn't have to have intimate fellowship with us. But he chose to. And so he adopted us into his family. And he gives us the spirit of adoption in that sense, Packer says. And so do many other theologians like Sinclair Ferguson. And the list goes on and on and on. That adoption is the highest So we're going to spend all of eternity, if we are truly trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, with a God who wants to be intimate with us. It's it's really quite amazing.
quite amazing. Now I have a serious question for you, my dear sheep. And this is particularly to those of you who are Christians and trusting in Christ. Do you, now listen to this next word, feel? You shouldn't be talking about feeling. No, you should be talking about feeling. Do you feel and enjoy and relish the love of God for you? John the Apostle writing in his little letter of five chapters, says this, Behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called the children of God? He's astounded with it. And I'm asking you, and I ask myself, and I have repeatedly as I've prepared for this message, Do you feel and enjoy and relish the love of God for you? John Owen, the great Puritan theologian, said this, and I'm reading for you one sentence. By the way, before I do, I wasn't necessarily planning on doing this, but it's right here. So, on... Two pages before this, Packer quotes the Westminster Confession of Faith on adoption. And our 1689 uses exactly the same word. So if you want, you may think of it as our Confession of Faith. It's the only chapter in the whole Confession of Faith that has a one-sentence statement. <laughs> but this is... This is a, a, Kind of a long sentence, but it's but it's it's something you can grasp and understand and appreciate even as I read it. It's, it's in one sense it's not complex. Listen, all those that are justified, God promises in and for His only Son Jesus Christ to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have His name upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by Him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Now, one sentence. This is an amazing one. This is one to be worth memorizing. So when you put what Packer says together with what our confession of faith says, you need to answer the question, do you feel, do you feel and enjoy and relish and bask in the love of God for you? Or are you preoccupied with how sinful you are? Of course we don't encourage you to look upon your sins lightly and to not be sorrowful for your sinfulness and to not confess them. Of course we don't. But I'm asking a very important pastoral question here. 
Do you feel the love of God for you in spite of your present sinfulness? You know that all of your sins have been paid for by our Savior on the cross. You know they will not meet you in the day of judgment. You know that you have been pronounced righteous in His sight. You even know that someday your sinfulness itself will be taken away. Because when we see Him, we shall be made like Him. We will be glorified. We will be completely eradicated from any sinfulness in our humanity. You know that. But are you so preoccupied with your present sinfulness that you're not able to feel and to enjoy the love of God for you? This is what John Owen, the Puritan, said. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him, is what is it? What do you think it is? Is it some scandalous sin? No. No. The greatest unkindness you can do to Him, the greatest burden you can lay on the Father, is not to believe that He loves you. That's the Puritan John Owen. So much for his view of the emotivity of God. It makes God sad. May I put it that way? It makes God sad when we doubt his love for us. Can you embrace that? Can that fit into your theology? When we are rather preoccupied with our own sinfulness. Why would this make God so sad? Really, the greatest sorrow, the greatest burden, the greatest unkindness? Why would this so sadden the heart of our God and burden Him and be considered an unkindness? Here's why. It's in our text. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, so that, so that, so that they might receive the adoption as sons. He crushed his son for you. He cursed his son for you. God so loved you that when he sent his only begotten son into the world to redeem you, he crushed him. He cursed him so that he won't have to curse you, so that he could justify you, so that he could adopt you. So when we don't believe that he loves us, Owen is right. We make the heart of God saddened. And we should hear him in our 
mind, in our mind's hearing, say, why? Why? Why don't you believe? What more would you want me to have done? I crushed my son for you. I cursed him so that you wouldn't be cursed. I listened to him in the garden of Gethsemane. Plead with me and say, Father, is it possible? For, is it possible for this cup to pass? Jesus wasn't cowering under the fear of death. Don't, don't think that for one split second. He didn't have a weaker faith than the martyrs who gladly went to the stake to be burned. The thought of being separated from his father, the thought of becoming a curse, the thought of becoming representationally the worst sinner who ever lived on the face of the earth so that his father would have to turn his back on him was too overwhelming for him to contemplate. Father, isn't there an alternative? Some alternative? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God says to Heritage Baptist Church, the only answer I gave my son was no answer. And you wonder if I love you. You wonder if I really, really love you. I heard my son on the cross cry out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And I didn't answer him because he knew that I loved you so much that I had to abandon him so that I wouldn't abandon you for all eternity. And you are preoccupied with your sinfulness to the extent that you can't believe that you're really my son, that you're really my daughter. Where did I say in my word that my sons and daughters are sinless? I never said that. I've only said that they will progressively make an end to their sinfulness, but they'll never complete it, this side of glorification. So, dear, dear sheep, let's believe God loves us. Let's stop listening to ourselves and start speaking to ourselves the gospel, as amazing as it may seem. So now you know, now you know what the ultimate Father's Day is. You know what the ultimate Father's Day is? It's the day that you trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit causes you to be born again, and that's why you trust in Christ. It's the day of your conversion. You cast all your sins on Jesus, and he gives you all of his righteousness, and God says, not done. Yes, you're justified. One more thing. This all happens at the same time. I'm going to put the spirit of my son in you, and I'm going to enable you to sincerely and genuinely and rightfully and legitimately say, Abba, Father, and I'm going to bring you into my family. And I will never... Ever, ever disenfranchise or disown you.
So that day is the happiest Father's Day of the world. Not today. Not a year from now. The happiest Father's Day in the world is the day that God becomes your Father and puts within you the spirit of adoption. So, for those of you for whom this is appropriate, I say for the second time in a completely different way, Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. And to you who do not know God as your Father, just your judge, filled with righteous indignation toward you, abiding under His present wrath, hear the call of Christ who says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why would you be so foolish as to live under the wrath of God thinking that somehow you can be happy when hell itself looms right before you? When a God in heaven says, I'm willing to make you my son or my daughter. Okay, just a very brief word of encouragement. So that's that's the burden of my heart for this Father's Day, to think about the ultimate Father. But I do want to give just a brief, very brief word of counsel and encouragement to those of you who are earthly fathers or hope someday to be earthly fathers. And by the way, lest I forget, because I didn't put it in my notes, but I made note of it in my mind, and thankfully it's come back, I want to encourage all of you dads to talk to your kids and say, um, I love you and I'm thankful to be your father. I'm not a great father. I'm not a perfect father. You heard about him this morning. But I am a father who loves Jesus. And I'm trusting him for the forgiveness of all my sins. And it's a supreme privilege to be your father. I love you. And I want to be a better father to you. Say that to your kids. And kids... Go to your dad today and say, Dad, I love you. I'm thankful you are my father. Of course you're not perfect, but neither am I. Of course you're a sinner, but so am I. I love you. I'm grateful that God gave me you to be my father. Honor your father. And all of us pray for those who have lost their fathers. And pray for those children who don't even know who their father is. Now, this is my counsel to you, brothers. Brothers, we need to study the character of the ultimate father, our heavenly father, and seek to be more and more like him. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much what I want to say to you. That's all. really all I want to say. Now, I don't believe that, uh, that God in his word calls us to uh, the, the heavy responsibility of how people perceive God. Modern psychologists say that, and, and there, there, may be a, um, there may be a modicum of truth in the concept if children grow up under an abusive, hateful, mean-spirited father who beats them, and then you start talking to them about um, another father, a heavenly father. Yes, it's true that their notion of fatherhood is significantly influenced. But the Bible doesn't lay that on us. But this is what 
I think is legitimate. God is the ultimate father and we, brothers, we need to become more and more like him. He does want us to be like him. That's why the theologians speak about communicable attributes. They're the attributes that he communicates to his children. He gives them. There are incommunicable. He's never going to let you be omnipresent. He's never going to let you be omniscient. He's never going to let you be omnipotent. He's never let you going to be infinite in any regard, except for the duration of eternity. But he does want you to be loving. He does want you to be righteous and just and merciful and gracious and kind and patient and consistent and dependable and truthful and personable and forgiving and communicative. Would anybody disagree with that? That God doesn't really want earthly fathers to be righteous and just and merciful and gracious and loving and kind and patient and consistent and dependable and truthful and personable and forgiving and communicative? No. You don't disagree with that? He wants us to be like Him. And we should work toward it. My kids are, I think, 37 and 36. Hard to believe. Now I'm more into Happy Grandfather's Day. (laughs) Gary Mitchell wished me a Happy Grandfather's Day this morning. I'm just glad he didn't wish a Happy Great Grandfather's Day to me because I'm not that old yet. But I wish that I could be a father again. I wish I could have a second shot at it. I think I think I would do better. And God blessed my dear wife and me in spite of ourselves. And I developed a lecture years ago, called 16 Things I Would Do Differently If I Could Be a Parent Again. And they're they're on the floor of my mind. I didn't have to go back to that lecture to look, some of them. I I would want to be more focused in the attention I gave to my children and not be caught up so much in the rat race, but to sit down and look at them and establish eye contact and talk with them and draw them out and listen carefully and affirm them and question them and, and be more personable I would like to have been more consistent in talking to them about the state of their soul and establish spiritual rapport. Fathers are are often um, fearful and sort of spineless when it comes to knowing the state of their children's soul. That's like a, ooh, that's too awkward. No. Establish rapport. Talk to your kids. Honey, how are you doing? Do you think you're trusting in Jesus? Do you understand the gospel? Tell me what you understand. Dad may take give you a a little different spin on it that could be helpful. How can I pray for you? Talk to my kids. I would would like to have done that more. God saved my kids in spite of not doing it as much as I think I could have and should have. I think I should have reasoned more biblically. I was more of a a knee-jerk disciplinarian. If you think you're going to get away with that, I got news for you, man. Come in this room and... I'm going to show you the meaning of a paddle or whatever and be, you know, just, I wasn't abusive, but I think I needed to say, could we, son, let's sit down. Rebecca, sit down with me. Now I'll confess this. I had to do that more with Pastor Jonathan than I did with Rebecca, okay? You might find that hard to believe, but (laughs) I doubt it. 
I wish I had spent more time saying, let's talk about why you did what you did. Don't be afraid to say why just because kids go. No, that's that's just the beginning of the comment. No, I'll tell you why you did it. Because you're selfish. You love yourself. We need to talk about what's the root of the problem. This is what Ted Tripp is concerned about in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. You have a heart problem. We need to talk about it. Let me help you with this. Let's, I wish I'd have done more of that. I can go on and on with these things. I'm not going to go into them. I'm not even going to read the other three that I have here. But I just want to say to you, dads and dads-to-be, uh, you can become a better father, and you ought to try to become a better father, not to earn a righteous standing with God. That's all been purchased for you by Jesus Christ, but to be more effective, and you should roll up your sleeves and keep working at it. This is not laying a heavy burden on you. This is what God calls you to do. He wants you to be like Him. And I think a pretty good place to start would be by really being a loving father. A tender-hearted father, a compassionate father, a patient father, a forgiving father, a communicative father. Let's work on that. And be realistic. You're never going to be the father this... Well, you're not going to be that kind of a father when Christ comes back either because your, your kids won't be your kids in the way they are now. But it's okay. Did you know why? Because in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem you. You're redeemed. Your sins have been paid for. And so, try to be a better father, and to the extent that you fail, say... There's a perfect Father who provided a perfect forgiveness for all my sins. Father in heaven, forgive me and help me to keep working at this thing. But in the meantime, I walk in the sheer warmth and delight of knowing that you love me. That I am your Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that those words can be spoken by us. And forgive us for how easily they roll off of our tongues in a meaningless way. And we don't just stop and say, wait a minute, I just called God Father. Help us to be overwhelmed that you wanted to be more than just a satisfied judge with regard to our righteousness, but you also wanted to be a loving, tender, caring, intimate Father to us. Lord, help us to, to believe that you do love us and to live differently because of that. Lord, be merciful today to those who don't know you as their heavenly Father. You're just God. You're just the judge. And you are God and you will be the judge. You are that. But may they come to you and confess their sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be adopted into your family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.